Hello, my name is Malcolm Shaw. I am the Sir Robert Jennings Professor of International Law at the University of Leicester, UK, and I am a practicing barrister. Uh, this lecture is on the principles of maritime delimitation. There are a variety of maritime zones accepted in international law, and delimitation may arise with regard to any or, or all of them, depending upon geographical circumstances. We shall review them. The territorial sea is a band of water around the coast, over which the coastal state has sovereignty, subject to the right of innocent passage. There has historically been disagreement as to the width of the territorial sea. Originally, the cannon shot rule defined the width required in terms of the range of shore-based artillery, but at the turn of the 19th century, this was transmuted into the three-mile rule. This was especially supported by the major maritime powers, the United States and the United Kingdom, and any exception had to be justified by virtue of historic rights and general acquiescence, as, for example, the Scandinavian claim to four miles. Recently, the, the three-mile rule has been discarded as a rule of general application to be superseded by contending assertions. The 1958 Geneva Convention on the Territorial Sea did not include an article on the subject because of disagreements among the states, while the 1960 Geneva Conference failed to accept a US-Canadian proposal for a six-mile territorial sea coupled with an exclusive fishery zones for a further six miles by only one vote. Article 3 of the 1982 Convention on the Law of the Sea, however, notes that all states have the right to establish the breadth of the territorial sea up to a limit not exceeding 12 nautical miles from the baselines. This, this clearly accords with the evolving practice of states. The UK adopted a 12-mile limit in the Territorial Sea Act 1987, for instance, as did the US in December 1988. The contiguous zone is an area next to the territorial sea over which the coastal state may exercise certain rights of control in order to prevent and punish infringement of its customs, fiscal, immigration or sanitary regulations within its territory or territorial sea. Unlike the territorial sea, which is automatically attached to the land territory of the state, contiguous zones have to be specifically claimed. Under Article 33 of the 1982 Convention, a coastal state may claim a contiguous zone of up to 24 nautical miles from the baselines from which the territorial sea is measured. The exclusive economic zone developed out of earlier, more tentative claims, particularly relating to fishing zones, and as a result of developments in the negotiating processes leading to the 1982 Convention. Article 55 of the 1982 Convention provides that the exclusive economic zone is an area beyond and adjacent to the territorial sea, subject to the specific legal regime established by the Convention. Under Article 56, the coastal state in the economic zone has, inter alia, sovereign rights for the purpose of exploring and exploiting, conserving and managing the natural resources, and jurisdiction with regard to artificial islands, installations and structures, marine scientific research, and the protection and preservation of the marine environment. The economic zone starts from the outer limit of the territorial sea, but does not extend beyond 200 nautical miles from the baselines from which the breadth of the territorial sea is measured. 
Islands generate economic zones unless they consist of no more than rocks which cannot sustain human habitation. The continental shelf is a geological expression referring to the ledges that project from the continental landmass into the seas and which are covered with only a relatively shallow layer of water, some 150 to 200 metres, and which eventually fall away into the ocean depths, some thousands of metres deep. These ledges, or shells, take up some 7 to 8% of the total area of ocean and their extent varies considerably from place to place. Off the western coast of the US, for instance, it is less than five miles wide. Well, on the other hand, the whole of the underwater area of the North Sea and the Persian Gulf consists of shelf. The vital fact about the continental shelves is that they are rich in oil and gas resources and quite often are host to extensive fishing grounds. This stimulated a round of appropriations by coastal states in the years following the Second World War, which gradually altered the legal status of the continental shelf from being part of the high seas and available for exploitation by all states until its current recognition as exclusive to the coastal state. The basis of title to the continental shelf is recognised as the geographical criterion, that is, the continental shelf is seen as a prolongation or continuation of the land territory of the coastal state. However, Article 76.1 of the 1982 Convention provides that the limit of the continental shelf is constituted by either the actual outer edge of the continental margin or by a 200 nautical mile line from the baselines where the outer edge of the continental margin does not extend up to that distance. Thus, an arbitrary legal and geographical definition is provided. Where the continental margin actually extends beyond 200 miles, geographical factors are to be taken into account in establishing the limit, which in any event shall not exceed either 350 miles from the baselines or 100 miles from the 2,500 metre isobath. Where the shelf does not extend as far as 200 miles from the coast, natural prolongation is complemented as a guiding principle by that of distance. Not surprisingly, this complex formulation has caused difficulty, and in an attempt to provide a mechanism to resolve problems, the Convention established a commission on the limits of the continental shelf. Article 4 of Annex 2 to the Convention provides that a coastal state intending to establish the outer limits to its continental shelf beyond 200 nautical miles is obliged to submit particulars of such limits to the Commission along with supporting uh, scientific and technical data as soon as possible, but in any case within 10 years of the entry of, into force of the Convention for that state. The limits of the shelf established by a coastal state on the basis of the Commission's recommendations are final and binding. The first submission to the Commission was made by the Russian Federation on the 21st of December 2001, arguing that parts of underwater mountains underneath the pole were extensions of the Eurasian continent. A joint submission in respect of the area of the Celtic Sea and the Bay of Biscay was made by France, Ireland, Spain and the UK on the 19th of May 2006 while on the 21st of April 2008, the Commission confirmed Australia's continental sh shelf claim made in 2004. 
Since the expansion of the type and extent of maritime zones, the increased overlap of the various maritime zones between opposing or adjacent states has caused attention to be focused upon the pressing need for agreed delimitation. Since delimitation is in principle an, as an aspect of territorial sovereignty, where other states are involved, agreement is required. However valid in domestic law, unilateral delimitations will not be binding upon third states. The International Court noted in the Nicaragua v Honduras case in 2007 that the establishment of a permanent maritime boundary was a matter of grave importance and agreement is not easily to be presumed. Such delimitation must be sought and effected by means of an agreement following negotiations conducted in good faith and with the genuine intention of achieving a positive result. Where, however, such agreement cannot be achieved, the court recommended that delimitation should be effected by recourse to a third party possessing the necessary competence. Insofar as the delimitation of the territorial sea between states with opposite or adjacent coasts is concerned, Article 15 of the 1982 Convention, following basically Article 12 of the 1958 Convention on the Territorial Sea, provides that where no agreement has been reached, neither state may extend its territorial sea beyond the median line, every point of which is equidistant from the nearest point on the baselines from which the territorial sea is measured. However, particular geographical circumstances may make it difficult to establish clear baselines, and this may make it therefore impossible to draw an equidistance line. In such an exceptional case, the court would be prepared to consider alternative lines drawn by the states, for example, by sector lines, uh, as in the Nicaragua-Honduras 2007 judgment. The provision as to the median line, however, does not apply where it is necessary by reason of historic title or other special circumstances to delimit the territorial sea of the two states in a different way. The court in Qatar, Bahrain noted that Article 15 was to be regarded as having a customary law character and could be referred to as the equidistance special circumstances principle. The court went on to declare that the most logical and widely practiced approach is first to draw provisionally an equidistance line and then to consider whether that line must be adjusted in the light of the existence of special circumstances. This was underlined in the arbitration award between Guyana and Suriname of September 2007, which emphasised that Article 15 placed primacy on the median line as the delimitation line between the territorial seas of opposite or adjacent states. The tribunal emphasised that international courts were not constrained by a finite list of special circumstances but need to assess the matter on a case-by-case -case basis with reference to international case law and state practice. Navigational interests, for example, could constitute such special circumstances. The tribunal also held that a three-mile ter territorial sea delimitation line did not automatically extend outwards in situations where the territorial sea was extended to 12 miles, but rather that a principled method had to be found that took into account any special circumstances, including 
historic arrangements made. Separate from the question of the delimitation of the territorial sea, but increasingly convergent with it, is the question of the delimitation of the continental shelf and of the exclusive economic zone between opposing or adjacent states. The starting point of any delimitation of these areas is the entitlement of the state to a given maritime area. Such entitlement in the case of the continental shelf was originally founded upon the concept of natural prolongation of the land territory into the sea. But with the emergence of the exclusive economic zone, a new approach was introduced based upon distance from the coast. The two concepts, in fact, became close. Article 6 of the 1958 Continental Shelf Convention declared that in the absence of agreement and unless another boundary line was justified by special circumstances, the continental shelf boundary should be, should be determined by application of the principle of equidistance from the nearest points of the baselines from which the breadth of the territorial sea of each state is measured. That is to say, by the introduction of the equidistance or median line which would operate in relation to the sinuosities of the particular coastlines. In the North Sea continental shelf cases, between the Federal Republic of Germany on the one hand and Holland and Denmark on the other, the court, noting that Article 6 was not enforced between the parties, declared that the relevant rule was that delimitation is to be effected by agreement in accordance with equitable principles and taking into account all the relevant circumstances in such a way as to leave as much as possible to each party those parts of the continental shelf that constitute a natural prolongation of its land territory into and under the sea, without encroachment on the natural prolongation of the land territory of the others. The choice of method of delimitation, whether equidistance or otherwise, depended upon the pertinent circumstances of the case. So that, for example, the present presence of islands would be treated as relevant circumstances but not given full effect in a delimitation. Article 83 of the 1982 Convention provides simply that delimitation shall be effected by agreement on the basis of international law in order to achieve an equitable solution. This was emphasised by the court in the Tunisia-Libya case where it was stated that the principles and rules applicable to the delimitation of the continental shelf areas are those which are appropriate to bring about an equitable result. In the Gulf of Maine case, which dealt with the delimitation of both the continental shelf and fishery zones of Canada and the United States, the court held that delimitation is to be effected by the application of equitable criteria and by the use of practical methods capable of ensuring with regard to the geographic configuration of the area and other relevant circumstances an equitable result. The court took as its starting point the criterion of the equal division of the areas of overlapping, but this had to be combined with the appropriate auxiliary criteria in the light of the relevant circumstances of the area itself based upon geography and geometrical methods. Other relevant factors to be considered might include the concept of natural prolongation and, ec and economic factors. However, in the Libya-Malta case, the International Court, in deciding the case according to customary law, emphasised the distance criterion. 
This arose because of the relevance of the economic zone concept, which was now held to be part of customary law, and the fact that an economic zone could not exist without rights over the seabed and subsoil similar to those enjoyed over a continental shelf. Thus, the 200-mile limit of the zone had to be taken into account with regard to the delimitation of the continental shelf. The fact that the law now permitted a state to claim a shelf of up to 200 miles from its coast irrespective of geological characteristics also meant that there was no reason to ascribe any role to geological or geographical factors within that distance. However, the court did consider the comparability of coastal lengths in the case as part of the process of reaching an equitable boundary and used the disparity of coastal lengths of the parties as a reason for adjusting the median line so as to attribute a larger shelf area to Libya. The general geographical context in which the islands of Malta exist as a relatively small feature in a semi-enclosed sea was also taken into account in this context. The court in its analysis also referred to a variety of well-known principles of equity, including abstention from refashioning nature, non-encroachment by one party on areas appertaining to the other, respect due to all relevant circumstances, and the notions that equity did not necessarily mean equality, and that there could be no question of distributive justice. The court, however, rejected Libya's argument that a state with a greater landmass would have a greater claim to the shelf, and dismissed Malta's view that the relative economic position of the two states was of relevance. In conclusion, the court reiterated in the operative provisions of its judgment the following circumstances and factors that needed to be taken into account in the case. First, the general configuration of the coasts to the parties, their oppositeness and their relationship to each other within the general context. Secondly, the disparity in the lengths of the relevant coasts of the parties and the distance between them. Thirdly, the need to avoid in the delimitation any excessive disproportion between the extent of the continental shelf areas appertaining to the coastal stent state and the length of the relevant part of its coast measured in the general direction of the coastlines. In the Saint-Pierre and Miquelon case, the Court of Arbitration emphasised that the delimitation process commenced with the identification of the geographical context of the dispute in question, so that the seemingly objective process of geographical identification may indeed constitute a crucial element in the adoption of any particular juridical answer. In this case, it was felt that any enclaving of the islands within their territorial sea would be inequitable, and the solution proposed was to grant the islands an additional 12 miles from the limits of the territorial sea as an exclusive economic zone. In the case of the southern zone, the court emphasised the importance of the breadth of the coastal opening of the islands towards the south, thus resulting in a 200-mile but narrow corridor southwards from the islands as their economic zone. 
The court also considered the criterion of proportionality and satisfied itself that there was no disproportion in the areas appertaining to each of the parties. One may perhaps chart the decline of the ultra-broad approach to actual delimitation from the Jan Mayen case between Denmark and Norway, where the International Court of Justice noted that since a delimitation between opposite coasts was in question, one needed to begin by taking provisionally the median line and then inquiring whether special circumstances required another boundary line. In particular, one needed to take into account the disparity between the respective coastal lengths of the relevant area, and since in this case that of Greenland was more than nine times that of Jan Mayen, an unqualified use of equidistance would produce a manifestly disproportionate result. In addition, the question of equitable access to fish stocks for vulnerable fishing communities needed to be considered. Since the principal source in the area was Capelin, which was centred on the southern part of the area of overlapping claims, the adoption of a median line would mean that Denmark could not be assured of equitable access to the Capelin. This was a further reason for adjusting the median line towards the Norwegian island of Jan Mayen. However, there was no need to consider the presence of ice, as this did not materially affect access to fishery resources, nor the limited population of Jan Mayen, social economic factors or security matters in the circumstances. In discussing the variety of applicable principles, a distinction has traditionally been drawn between opposite and adjacent states for the purposes of delimitation. In the former case, the court has noted that there is less difficulty in applying the equidistance method than in the latter, since the distorting effect of an individual geographical feature in the case of adjacent states is more likely to result in an inequitable delimitation. Accordingly, greater weight is to be placed upon equidistance in a delimitation of the shelf between opposite states in the context of equitable considerations than in the case of adjacent states where the range of applicable equitable principles may be more extensive and the relative importance of each particular principle less clear. Article 83 of the 1982 Convention, however, makes no distinction between delimitations on the basis of whether the states are in an opposite or adjacent relationship. The same need to achieve an equitable solution on the basis of international law is all that is apparent and recent moves to a presumption in favour of equidistance in the case of opposite coasts may well apply also to adjacent states. The weight to be given to the criterion of proportionality between the length of the coastline and the area of the continental shelf has also been the subject of consideration and opinions have varied. It is a factor that must be cautiously applied. Article 74 of the 82 Convention provides that delimitation of the exclusive economic zone between states with opposite or adjacent coasts is to be effected by agreement on the basis of international law in order to achieve an equitable solution. 
Since this phrase is identical to the provision on delimitation of the continental shelf, it is not surprising that cases have arisen in which states have sought a single maritime boundary applying both to the continental shelf and the economic zone. In the Gulf of Maine case, for example, where a single boundary was sought, the court emphasised that the relevant criteria had to be essentially determined in relation to what may be properly called the, ge the geographical features of the area. But what these are has been subject to some controversy and did not appear in that case to cover scientific or other facts relating to fish stocks, oil exploration, scientific research or common defence arrangements although in Jan Mayen, as we saw, a slightly different approach was taken. In the Guinea-Bissau Guinea maritime delimitation case, the tribunal was called upon to draw a single line dividing the territorial sea, economic zone and continental shelf of the two states concerned. In the case of the latter two zones, the tribunal noted that the use of the equidistance method was unsatisfactory since it exaggerated the importance of insignificant coastal features. Rather, one had to consider the whole, of, the whole coastline of West Africa. The tribunal also considered that the evidence with regard to the geological and geomorphological features of the continental shelf was unsatisfactory, while general economic factors were rejected as being unjust and inequitable, since they were based upon an evaluation of data that was constantly changing. The question of a single maritime boundary arose again in the Saint-Pierre-Miquelon case, where the tribunal was asked to establish a single delimitation as between the parties governing all rights and jurisdiction that the parties may exercise under international law in these maritime areas. In such cases, the tribunal, following the Gulf of Maine decision, took the view that in a single or all-purpose delimitation, Article 6 of the Geneva Convention on the Continental Shelf of 1958, which governed the delimitation of the Continental Shelf, did not have mandatory force as regards the establishment of that single maritime line. However, where there did not exist a special agreement between the parties asking the court to determine a single maritime boundary applicable both to the Continental Shelf and the Economic Zone, they took, the court noted in the Jan Mayen case that the two strands of the applicable law had to be examined separately. These strands related to the effect of Article 6 of the 1958 Convention on the Continental Shelf upon the Continental Shelf and the rules of customary international law with regard to the fishery zone. Recent cases have seen further moves towards clarity and simplicity. In the second phase of the Eritrea-Yemen case concerning maritime delimitation, the tribunal noted that it was a generally accepted view that between coasts that are opposite to each other, the median or equidistance line normally provided an equitable boundary in accordance with the requirements of the 82 Convention. It also reaffirmed earlier case law to the effect that Proportionality was not an independent mode or principle of delimitation, but a test of the equitableness of a delimitation arrived at by other means.
The tribunal also considered the role of mid-sea islands in a delimitation between opposite states and noted that to give them full effect would produce a disproportionate effect. Indeed, no effect was given to some of the islands in question. In Qatar v Bahrain, the court emphasised the close relationship between continental shelf and economic zone delimitations and held that the appropriate methodology was first to provisionally draw an equidistance line and then to consider whether circumstances existed which must lead to an adjustment of that line. Further, it was noted that the equidistance special circumstances rule applicable to territorial sea delimitation and the equidistance relevant circumstances rule as developed since 1958 in case law and practice regarding the delimitation of the continental shelf and exclusive economic zone were in fact closely related. The court did not consider the existence of purling banks to be a circumstance justifying a shift in the equidistance line, nor was the disparity in length of the coastal fronts of the states. It was also considered that for reasons of equity, in order to avoid disproportion, no effect could be given to Fash al-Jarim, a remote projection of Bahrain's coastline in the Gulf area, which constituted a maritime feature located well out to sea and most of which was below water at high tide. This approach was reaffirmed by the court in Cameroon v Nigeria, where it was noted that the applicable criteria, principles and rules of delimitation concerning a line covering several zones of coincident jurisdiction could be expressed in the so-called equitable principles relevant circumstances method. This method, which is very similar to the equidistance special circumstances method concerning territorial sea delimitation, involves first drawing an equidistance line and then considering whether there are factors calling for the adjustment or shifting of that line in order to achieve an equitable result. Such a line had to be constructed on the basis of the relevant coastlines of the states in question, and that excluded taking into account the coastlines of third states and the coastlines of the parties not facing each other. Further, the court emphasised that equity is not a method of delimitation, but solely an aim that should be borne in mind in effecting the delimitation. Thus putting an end to certain trends in previous decades, to put the whole emphasis in delimitation upon an equitable solution, leaving substantially open the question of what factors to take into account and how to rank them. The geographical configuration of the maritime area in question was an important element in this case, and the court stressed that while certain geographical peculiarities of maritime areas could be taken into account, this would be solely as relevant circumstances for the purpose, if necessary, of shifting the provisional delimitation line. In the present case, the court did not consider the configuration of the coastline a relevant circumstance justifying altering the equidistance line. Similarly, the court did not feel it necessary to take into account the existence of Bioko, an island off the coast of Cameroon, which belonged to a third state, Equatorial Guinea. Nor was it concluded that there existed a substantial difference in the lengths of the respective coastlines of the parties so as to make it a factor to be considered in order to adjust the provisional delimitation line.
In the Barbados, the Trinidad and Tobago Arbitration Award of April 2006, it was noted that equitable considerations per se constituted an imprecise concept in the light of the need for stability and certainty in the outcome of the legal process and emphasised that the search for predictable, objectively determined criteria for delimitation underlined that the role of equity lies within and not beyond the law. The process of achieving an equitable result was constrained by legal principle, as both equity and stability were integral parts of the delimitation process. The tribunal concluded that the determination of the line of delimitation followed a two-step approach. First, a provisional line of equidistance is constructed, and this constitutes the practical starting point. Secondly, this line is examined in the light of relevant circumstances, which are case-specific, so as to determine whether it is necessary to adjust the provisional equidistance line in order to achieve an equitable result. This approach was termed the equidistance relevant circumstances principle, so that certainty would thus be combined with the need for an equitable result. Accordingly, there is now a substantial convergence of applicable principles concerning maritime delimitation whether derived from customary law or treaty. In all cases, whether the delimitation is of the territorial sea, continental shelf, or economic zone, or of the latter two together, the appropriate methodology to be applied is to draw a provisional equidistance line as the starting position, and then to see whether any relevant or special circumstances exist which may warrant a change in that line in order to achieve an equitable result. The presumption in favour of that line is to be welcomed as a principle of value and clarity. As to the meaning of special or relevant circumstances, or the criteria that need to be taken into account, case law provides a range of clear indications. Equity is not a method of delimitation and nature cannot be totally refashioned. But some modification of the provisional equidistance line may be justified for the purpose of, for example, abating the effects of an incidental special feature from which an unjustifiable difference or treatment could result. The following principles may be noted. First, the delimitation should avoid the encroachment by one party on the natural prolongation of the other, or its equivalent, in respect of the economic zone, and should avoid, to the extent possible, the interruption of the maritime projection of the relevant coastlines. Secondly, the configuration of the coast may be relevant where the drawing of an equidistance line may unduly prejudice a state whose coast is particularly concave or convex within the relevant area of the delimitation when compared with that of its neighbours. But the threshold for this is relatively high. Thirdly, a substantial difference in the lengths of the parties' respective coastlines may be a factor to be taken into consideration in mitigation of an equidistance line so as to avoid 
a disproportionate and inequitable result. Fourthly, the presence of islands or other similar maritime features may be relevant to the equities of the situation and may justify a modification of the provisional equidistance line. Fifthly, security considerations may be taken into account, but the precise effects of this are unclear. Sixthly, resource-related criteria, such as the distribution of fish stocks, have been cautiously treated and have not generally been accepted as a relevant circumstances. Finally, the prior conduct of the parties may be relevant, for example, where there is sufficient practice to show that a provisional boundary has been agreed. In the Tunisia-Libya case, for example, the court held that a line close to the coast, which neither party had crossed when granting offshore oil and gas concessions, and which thus constituted a modus vivendi, was highly relevant. Although, in the Cameroon-Nigeria case, the court emphasised that only if such concessions were based on express or tacit agreement between the parties could they be taken into account for the purposes of a delimitation.